I sort of alluded to it in the prayer, but my, my hope is that we would be challenged as the theme is there, breaking through barriers. You can see the idea of open space. You can see the very imagery itself speaks of the idea of God moving and breaking forward with his, his goodness and his grace and his life and his beauty. He wants to be our, and I think you can see it as well, he wants to be our king. He wants to be the one who sheds his life over our lives. And so um, we want to learn together. But I am convinced that there are things that God's wanting us to surrender or he's wanting us to let be. One of the things we must remember is what we can't let be won't let us be. That there are times where God is just saying, you need to trust me in ways that maybe go against the grain of what we think we must do sometimes to protect ourselves. And yet the Lord is the one who has a record of trying to stir our hearts. And one of the things I ask God to do is to keep me from getting stuck. Keep me, and I use this word, unstuck. Don't get me locked up, Lord. Don't let things lock me down. And if they do, if I start to notice that I'm letting those things like fears or certain anxieties begin to penetrate and begin to attempt to define me, I need to remember that the Lord has a purpose and a plan that is so much bigger than our own, but he also cares about us deeply. And oftentimes, it's really because the Lord is wanting us to wrestle with surrender. And that's going to be what we're going to look at. I mean, we're going to look at the conversion of a man who will become the most amazing advocate of the way of Jesus this world has ever known. But it really had to do at its core with surrender. And I guess the question I'm going to ask at the beginning and the end is, are there things that the Lord is asking us to surrender to him? to let go, or to let, let, let them be? And is there things that he wants us to welcome into our heart and into our life, new things he wants us to see, be? Is this a season of transition for us that God's trying to open up new things in us, awaken things? Okay. It happened, what, almost uh, 2,000 years ago, around AD 35, on an obscure desert road just a few miles outside of Damascus. We're talking about the radical conversion of Saul of Tarsus, the man who would become the Apostle Paul. I think it, everyone's heard of the Apostle Paul. So much of the New Testament is connected to the Apostle Paul. Which is, you know, and, and the Apostle Paul, the, 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 his, his conversion is one of the most, I know, I know we don't think of it this way, but it is one of the most profound evidences of the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, um, for there is no other way to, to explain logically what transformed the man who was this chief persecutor of the way of Jesus 
into the most impactful influencer for Christ this world has ever known. There's, there's is no way to really uh, understand it. He, his transformation and the impact of his life, when you contrast who he was to what he became, there, there is almost no other explanation than the one he gave us. And that was in his mind. He saw the risen Jesus, and it changed his entire world. Now, I remember as a, because I'm a believer in, okay, it's, it's by grace through faith that we are saved. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith cannot be put into a test tube. It is something that extends into the realm of the spirit. And a lot of times, I think because of that, maybe sometimes faith is viewed as something that doesn't make sense or is something sort of set apart from being sensible. But I'm going to suggest that one of the things the Bible also reminds us of is in addition to faith being the key that unlocks things in our life, like trusting God, believing on God, relying on God, faith is like sitting on a chair and believing it'll hold us. But our faith in Jesus is actually a rational faith. And oftentimes it, it, it's, it's written off as maybe something that is more pie in the sky, but actually it, if you look at the historical record of what actually happened, some things are inexplicable apart from acknowledging that Jesus was who he said he was and rose. Now I remember when I was but a young believer in the Lord, I was a teenager, actually was in high school, and I was getting very serious about following the Lord. I, I made a real commitment. It was a commitment to follow him. And I had felt his presence in my life. And it changed a lot of how I saw the world. One of the things that I had done is though I started reading. And I came into contact with a small book that has had such an amazing effect on people's lives now for decades. The book was written in the 70s. And I remember reading it for the first time because it was making the case for Jesus, but it was also making the case that it is a rational faith that we have in Christ. And this book, which is still among us, is called More Than a Carpenter. And I remember this book, its purpose is to do exactly what it says, to declare that he is more than a carpenter. And it's just a small little apologetic of the way of Christ and who he was. One of the things about this book is now it's in its multiple prints. It's just blessed millions and millions of people. We actually give this book out to those who are part of the journey. So you get, this is something we just, we give when you jump into the journey class. And I know that we're starting one, a journey real soon at the Reardon campus as well. And we've got another one starting at the Mission campus in November. This, but this book, one of the things I remembered about it was there were two chapters that stood out to me, like really got me thinking. And again, it was simple, but it was profound. One, had, one of the chapters is the seventh chapter. And in that seventh chapter, it, it had this very interesting title. It was called, Who Would Die for a Lie? Now, on first glance, we might say, well, a lot of people die for a lie. If they believe that something is, is true and it's not, and they die for it, they've died for a lie. But the case that was being made was that the disciples, the apostles, they all died for their testimony of Jesus in different parts of the world, all because they said he, he was alive. But here's the thing. The, the writer makes the point. Every one of them would have known for a fact if it was true or a lie. It's one thing to die for a lie that you believe. It's another thing to die for a lie that you know when you know something isn't true. Like you know it. 
And the fascinating part about one of the cases that you look at is each of the disciples were willing to die for their, for their belief in Jesus. And that seventh chapter talks a lot about that. And I was, that impressed me. It, it really did. Like, it got me thinking. Like, they gained nothing. The only thing they gained was death. And again, they were apart from each other, so it wasn't about groupthink. They all gave their life because of the testimony of what they had seen, the risen Jesus. And there's almost no other way to explain the transformation of the early church than to look at what happened to them when they saw the risen Jesus. It changed their perspective of life and death. But the other chapter, that is the reason I'm even bringing it up, is the ninth chapter. And the ninth chapter talks about, have you ever heard of a man named Saul? Because they, he talks about how Saul's testimony, like, you know, Paul, Saul becomes Paul. He ends up changing the world. I mean, the moment we are about to look at, see, every now and then someone will say, oh, it changed the world. No, this moment changed the world. We would not be here without this moment. The, you understand what happens. On this obscure road to Damascus, a man who passionately hates Jesus, hates anyone connected to him, is literally transformed or confronted with something that is inexplicable because what it does is it turns him a completely different direction. And he ends up taking the message of Christ to the Gentile world like the non-Jewish world, he himself, a Jew, takes this message of Jesus into the world. And it ends up in a mere, in less than 300 years, the Roman Empire, the greatest military force the world had ever known, is in a sense brought to the knees of Jesus. It is a stunning development that occurs. It alters the course of history, the entire Western world. If you can, you can make the case, if you go back and study the history of orphanages, you know, hospitals, schooling, it's all connected back to this moment. I mean, so much of the influence occurs right here with this man becoming the follower of Jesus that he was. Now, you got to remember, he says the only, he, did, he had no interest in Jesus. He hated Jesus. He, he did not believe. This is a man of intellectual heft. In contrast to many of the other disciples, most majority of whom were working people, working men few in different places. Saul is a Pharisee, trained under the feet of the finest teacher in Israel at the time, a man named Gamaliel. He is learned in the law. He understands it, the law of Moses. It's, he's, it's been nurtured in him since the day of his youth. And not only that, you combine that with two other qualities, um, a stunning kind of driven will that's capable of tremendous um, self-discipline with an, an intellect at an extremely high level, you put that together and, put, and weave it with a religious zeal, you have a dangerous person, potentially. Right. <laughs> Unless that's truly submitted to the love of Christ, it could be very dangerous. He was a man on fire with hate. He truly believed that the followers of Jesus were corruptors of the religion of his people, that they had falsely proclaimed Jesus to be Messiah. He, that had been the religion of his youth, 
the religion of his people. He was convinced that the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, was totally opposed to the way of Jesus. And the early followers of Jesus were called followers of the way, most likely because of the, the, what Jesus has said about, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You cannot come to the Father, you cannot come to God but through me. And they were declaring he was the path. He was the bridge between God and, and men, God and human beings, that there was an incrossable gap that separated us. The product of sin and death being his evidence and that God himself had done what no human being could ever do and had chosen to bridge that gap with his own suffering, the cross, and created a pathway for what had been a separation to now be bridged, the bridge of life, Jesus. Saul saw that as a joke and worse, a her heresy. You remember, when they had stoned Stephen to death, he was there watching. He did not disapprove. And now he's on the front end. He's the bulwark. He's the guy who's asked for it. Well, you know what? Let's go, let's go look at the passage. Let's do this. Let's do this together. All right. Acts 9. Let's check this out. Acts 9. This is in your handout. Follow along with your Bible. Uh, Paul still breathing. There it is. Threats. Look at the Bible's way of describing it. Paul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord went to the high priest. He asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found anybody belonging to, there it is, the way, men or women, men or women, didn't matter, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now we see this picture. He has got authority and he is intent on arresting men and women. And he's going to bring them bound. Saul was determined to stamp out this new sect that proclaimed heretically Jesus of Nazareth as Messiah. Now I want to quickly, again, just because I, it's so good to remember, this is not taking place in a made-up place. This is real place, real geography. Look at, look at, I'm going to have them put up a quick little map again, reminding us of what we're reading about, where it happens. By the way, remember I said this? This happens almost 2,000 years ago. Those two cities, they're still there. Yes. Jerusalem and Damascus. Jerusalem is in some way the center of the world. Still. The critical juncture, look at it, of three points of the world. The three great continents of the ancient world coming together at the nexus point, right? Right there, or at least at that particular point. You have Africa, you have Asia, and you have Europe. Jerusalem, the center of the world. And then on top of that, if you notice, there's still in the news today. You go north past the Galilee and you hit Syria. Totally in the news today, Damascus. This is where Saul is going. He is on his way. He's heard about this burgeoning community of these corruptors of our religion. I will take care of them. And he's on that road to Damascus. And then he doesn't realize it, has no way of knowing it. Could have never envisioned it. But he's about to have an encounter. An encounter that will literally rock his world and change our world. He will later again describe it as his encounter with the living Jesus, an encounter that he was utterly unprepared for. By the way, Paul's 
encounter confrontation with the risen Jesus is recorded three different times in the New Testament. Once here by Dr. Luke, the, the one who is the recorder of the Gospel of Luke, a physician by trade, and the other two by Paul himself later on. You know what's interesting? There is more detail, if you total it up, given to the account of Paul's conversion than there is with any other thing in the entire New Testament except for one thing, the crucifixion account. Other than the crucifixion account, this, there's more attention given to this moment than any other thing in the New Testament. Is that intense or what? Verse 3, now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly we're told a light shone from, he from heaven. It just shone around him. And according to, to Acts 22, if you were to go back and read that account, it, 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 it occurred during the glare of the, of the noonday Mideast sun. Now I've now been to Israel a few times, and even the region of the Sinai, and I can tell you that that noonday sun is intense. There's a reason people wear, wear the clothing they wear. Paul, the, Paul, Saul, Paul, Saul at the time, Paul says this, essentially that what he saw was something brighter even than the noonday sun. Imagine that. The intensity of that light as he's on his way, he's got a, an entourage with him, no question about it. And there are others, he's not alone, he's on his way, he's, he's ready to do business. Ready to do business in the name of God. And he's hit with what is, he calls a blinding light. Brighter even than the noonday sun. So it shone past it. He says, it, 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 and again, it's a re reflective of the glory, glory of God. I, I know I'm going to take a quick little tour here, detour here, but some of you may remember that there's an incident with Jesus on what's called the Mount of Transfiguration. And the scripture says that the glory of the Lord was so intense upon Jesus that he, he, he essentially was like more gleaming than he was... It was gleaming like white, shining white. It was like luminescent. Radiant, resplendent. Uh, I love the fact that Einstein called Jesus the lumine luminescent figure of the Nazarene. I would always have liked that, actually. Think about what happened with Moses uh, when he was, yeah, when he was, on Mount Sinai, which you can, you can go, it, it can be seen. And on Mount Sinai, the Bible says that, that Moses went and he left the people down and he met with God and he saw a portion of his holiness. And when he came down from the mountain, there was the residue of the glory of God that was on him. So much so that it says that he, he kind of, there was a glow on him that caused him to cover himself because people were caught off guard by it. Paul says, I saw a light, the light. It was, it was, it was more intense, more, more intense than even the noonday sun. I'm telling you that. Verse 4, falling to the ground, he says, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And the violent man crumpled to the ground. Artists ah, throughout the centuries have attempted to capture this moment 
And in my mind's eye, I always see it the way so many of them have, right? He's attempting to shield his eyes. He's shielding his eyes from the light that he is too bright. Hearing the voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Ah, ah, who are you? Instinctively, he knows it's God. He says, who are you, Lord? The word he uses, I don't hide. Who are you? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Think about that for a moment. What are you talking about? He was persecuting the followers of Jesus. Jesus said, you're persecuting me. Remember earlier on in his ministry, Jesus had said, if you do it to the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me, my body. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Saul knew instinctively. He knew it. And remember when Jesus says, I am, I am, look at that. I love that. I am Jesus. I am Jesus. There was another moment in scripture. Moses. Drawn to a bush. As an older man, Bush, he sees at a distance it's burning, but it's not consumed. A bush that is burning and not consumed, what is that? He walks to it, and it begins to speak. God speaks to Moses, and he says, well, you need to go back and set my people free. Moses says, well, who shall I say sent me? You say, I am that I am sent you. Jesus, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. The great reveal. Verse 6, but rise and enter the city. Get up. Enter the city, and you'll be told what to do. Saul, we, we may assume, was shaken, stunned. He couldn't see. He couldn't see. He says, I couldn't see. I'm bl he was blind. He goes down. He's blind. He cannot see. I can't see. Uh, he, he can't see. He's blind. It, it, and by the way, it's been assumed by some that even after he regained his sight, that there was some potential permanent damage there, which some people, not everyone, believes be, may have been what he was referring to when he talks about his thorn in the flesh. There's a couple of different angles we can go there. But this is certainly one legitimate one, right? The men were traveling with him. They stood speechless, hearing the voice seeing no one, verse 8, Saul rose from the ground, although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. And so they led him by, hand, by the hand, and they brought him into Damascus. It was, it was an incredibly inconceivable turn of events, right? The man who had come to hunt down and lead away captives. He was going to lead away captives. He was going to bind them up and lead them away. Now he is being led into the city by a hand he cannot see. He cannot see. I, I... I take me, take me uh, into the city to the house uh, of a man named Judas, Judas, Judas of Damascus. He, 
he's on the street called Straight, the, 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 street, the street that went through the city, the street called Straight, take me to his house. And they led him. They led him. He couldn't see. It's, he, he's a picture now of dependence. Captured, broken, bewildered. Uh, verse 9, last verse in that piece. And for three, uh, I was always wondering, three days. Uh, three days he was without sight. Into the tomb. Three days without sight, and neither, he neither ate nor drank. And I was, I was thinking about this moment because I was trying in my mind's eye to go, what was it like? What was he like? He's, sitting, he's, he's there. He, right? Three days alone in the, the darkness. He, can't, he cannot see. He cannot see. But, but he, he's sitting with his thoughts in the shadow, in the darkness. He's sitting with his thoughts. He's entered, as I mentioned, he's entered the cave. He's entered the tomb. Um, he's entering into the womb. I tried to imagine in my mind's eye, what was he thinking? What, a, what am I, 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 everything about God, everything about Jesus, all, 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 all the things I've done, I have blood on my, on my hands. I, this power now. I think, I think he went back. I think he thought about Stephen. I, I think the one he despised, who had bothered him, he bothered him. That prayer this made-up Jesus. Father, Lord, forgive them. What have I done? What have I done? What does he want from me? What have I done? What can I be? All, all of it. He's processing through this. He doesn't know what he's even supposed to do next. You, he, doesn't, he wasn't told three days and you'll be, your side will return. He wasn't told anything. He's just there pondering, praying, Thinking in the darkness of his mind, with his thoughts, what have I done? Who he is now? Am I, I, I thought he was nothing. I thought you were nothing. What do, I, what do you want from me? Right? This is, this is, this is what's going on. Now, what's going to happen, and we'll get into this next week. God's going to set up a divine appointment. He's going to work on two ends. He's going to send someone who doesn't want to go. We're going to look at that. And that person is going to be part of God's plan. Okay, I, only have, I have a little time left, but I'm not going to rush. Because here we go. I'll, I'll try my best not to, okay? I want to, okay, for those of us who are no, taking notes, because and, 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 remember I talked about this. This is not, this is, we could just, we could learn about Saul. It's conversion, which we have done for a moment. But I want to, us to also listen to our lives. This was very important to me. This was on my heart. I prayed for this moment. I prayed for this moment. Concerning Paul, number one, just to note it, it was a confrontation that was intended to illuminate. In a certain sense, uh, the light of Jesus 
that physically blinded Saul was something that revealed how blind, spiritually speaking, he was. I mean, he thought he saw things clearly. He was adamantly, you've got to understand the kind of man he, he was adamantly convinced of his spiritual clarity. Like, I, I know, I know. No one knows the law more than me. No one knows the way of more. No, I know. I'm a man of clarity. Clear seeing, spiritually, I know. No one will teach me. I teach. And now, after his confrontation with Jesus of Nazareth on the road to Damascus, he realized, oh my, how blind I had been. He had been. And, and, and in fact, he never forgot. He would never forget down the years how blind he had been. You know, early on in his life, he, will say, I, he says, I never doubted my rightness. I never did. But now he would say a different thing. He would never not suspect his own righteousness. He would always suspect his righteousness. His song would be trust in Christ and grace alone. He would never forget the man he was. Later on, he will say, it's true. I saw the risen Jesus. And I am an apostle. But I am really not worthy to be called an apostle. What I did, I cannot undo. But I will tell you this. I, I have labored more abundantly than them all. I, I have thrown everything I've had into this, all that I have, I've thrown it in. It's a question for us. Here it is. I wanted to bring it to us. Are there some things that he might want us to see differently right now, you guys? About who he is, about ourselves, about responsibilities, relationships, priorities. Is the Lord seeking to shift our paradigm, our way of seeing, uh, our way of being? <laughs> Are we meant to have a seasonal shift? Are we in one? I am. Now his was so dramatic. And you understand, it's going to take, people say, well, you turned into Paul. Actually, we're going to watch the process. <laughs> is there something God is trying to establish? I don't care how old we are or how young we are. And young and old... We all have challenges. Every one of us here has some struggle. Every one of us here has some area we need to get better. Every one of us has a hurt. Is there something new he's trying to establish in, through, and around us? Come on, what is it? For also, secondly, for Saul, it was a challenge. It was a challenge to stop resisting. And so I want to suggest that because Saul had been fighting God, resisting the way Jesus taught us it's no joyful thing. In fact, when the Lord is trying to get your attention, our attention, it's a losing game to fight him. If you've ever known the hound of heaven on your trail, you can run, but you cannot hide. The love of God and the grace of God chasing behind me. It will not let us go. You know what happened when you got exposed to the real Jesus? You know what happened to us? We were ruined forever. 
Because <laughs> we can never go back. I am forever ruined by grace. But thankfully, I am. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Right? I mean that. I don't want that just to be church speak. I mean, I really mean that. Like, I can't, we can't go back. You know, Paul, Paul oh, right there on the bottom. He's standing in front of a king. He's an older man now. Years have passed. He's got a lot of scars on him. He's been through some battles. He's followed through. He says, the Lord, whatever he did in me, the Lord didn't do it in vain. I gave everything I had for him. And I'm willing to give more still. Well, this is what he said in front of King Agrippa as he was witnessing to him. He said, oh, at midday, O king, this is what happened to me. You got to understand this. I saw a way, on the way, a light. It was a light from heaven. It was brighter than the sun. There it is. That shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen on the ground, I, I heard this voice. I don't know how to say it any other way. I heard this voice saying to me, it was in the Hebrew language. Saw, saw. Why are you persecuting me? And then he adds one thing. He says, it is that voice said to me, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. What is a goad? One, sometimes a goad is a, refers directly to a thorn. Sometimes a goad can be seen as a stick with something on it that pokes. Like any animal, like a, you'll see someone, and every now and then an animal will kick that goad back. We release, and, and, and yet that thorn, how hard it is to fight me. I think God was dealing with his conscience already. You know what else? It's pure conjecture, but I believe this. <laughs> I, think, I think Stephen affected him. Yeah. I, when he saw what he saw, I think it, it, like, it got him. How do you do that? How do you forgive like that? How deluded do you have to be while they are killing you to say you see Jesus and, and pray for the one, the ones? See, Stephen prayed for Saul in that moment too. I love that. It's hard for you to fight against my will. So here's the question, you guys. Are there areas where we're resisting God? Come on now. Are there areas where we're resisting God when we should be yielding? Like the Lord is trying to say, come on. Don't fight me on this. It's losing game. Come on. Stop it. You're hurting yourself. Come with me. Dance with me. Walk with me. My way is the way. Don't fight me. Come on. I've called you by name. Last thing. It was a call to redirect his life. Saul was being challenged not only to stop what he was doing, but, but to, to start doing something very different. There is this interlude moment, and I believe that, where he's trying to process through everything. So I've got a couple of things. I, I want to say this. is like, do we need to make space for self-reflection and evaluation? And I think we do. 
We're such a noisy culture right now. I mean, so many voices speaking to us, so much entertainment. Technology with all of its amazing, amazing capacity. Think about the irony in this. This, you know how much time we are saved with technology? And do you know how much time we waste with technology? <laughs> it's like you go, oh yeah, that was gonna say, but it, it's, it's, a, it's, 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 it's addictive, it's addictive. It, it, we don't, I wonder if we're supposed to get her, maybe, maybe at some point we need to go a little blind and think long thoughts with God about this season and what he's trying to say to us. Some of us are resisting. He wants us to yield. Last thing, are there things he wants us to replace? Right? Stick it one more, up one more time. Are there things he wants us to replace? New things he wants us to embrace. Now you see, you thought you were going to get away with not doing what I ever, always have everyone do. But um, I need you to smile at a person to your left and your right, look at that one a little extra long, and ask that question. Say, go ahead, do it. To the person to your right and your left, are there things he wants? Come on, go for it. Are there things that he wants us to replace? We gotta do this. Come on. <laughs> That's right. We are not to be a people bound up in our past, but a people of the present and the future. Paul would later say, this one thing I do, I am forgetting those things which are behind me, and I am reaching forward to the things that are ahead. And then if you follow up Philippians 3.13 with verse 14, and so I will press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. This one thing I do, I'm not going to hold on to what God's saying let go of. He had a lot of shame and a lot of guilt, and he caused a lot of hurt. He couldn't change it. I'd give everything if I could. I can't. I'm not worthy to be called an apostle. I, I know that. I, I, I hurt. I, I persecuted them. <laughs> But I did not call myself. He called me. So what I am, I am by the grace of God. So some of us are holding on to things. We need to let it go. Some of us are fighting God. And we, need to, we need to be at peace. You know, come on now. Our way won't really work the way we want it to. His way is better. His way is better. It is. All right. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would just be with us in these uh, closing minutes, as not only in our time of giving. And I thank you for such an amazing church that is so faithful in its giving of tithes and offerings. I, that's not even an issue to me. Right now, I just want to ask that you be with us in our closing song. Let it wrap this word up, and then let, it, let us sit with what you've been speaking to us. That's my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen, God.